Finding good architectural staff can be tricky. And once you've found them, how do you hang on to them? That's what I'm discussing with Stephen Drew in this episode of Architecture Business Club, the weekly podcast for solo and small firm architecture practice owners, just like you who want to build a profitable, future-proof architecture business that fits around their life. I'm the host, John Clayton. If you want to get notified when I release a new episode and get access to free resources and exclusive offers, then go to mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC and sign up to my free weekly email newsletter. Now let's discuss finding, hiring and retaining great architectural staff. Stephen Drew is the founder of the Architecture Social and Interior Design Social, as well as an ambassador for the Architects Benevolence Society, a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and a professional member of the Recruitment Employment Confederation and the Association of Professional Staffing Companies. Architecture Social has a fresh spin on an old formula by breaking down traditional barriers between companies and creatives providing a supportive environment to develop professional skills, find new jobs and socialise. You can learn more about Architecture Social and connect with Stephen via architecturesocial.com. Stephen, welcome to Architecture Business Club. Wow, it's it's been so good to meet you in person in London. It's always quite a nice thing post-pandemic to meet in person. And I'm very happy to be here. And my, 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 I'm just going to say that long list of all those titles. I, I, I do feel like I must have a massive, fragile ego. But well done for reading them all out. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. I mean, that wasn't even the full list. I mean, I could have probably gone on for a well, few minutes, but I, I'm compensating for some other inadequacies I have, you know. But uh, anyways, I digress. I don't want to interrupt <laughs> the podcast. It's good to be here. We don't want to talk about your inadequacies for the duration of the interview, so let's skip on from that. Um, One thing I did want to say, though, is I know um, before we get stuck into the topic we're going to talk about today, um, I know you're a dog lover, aren't you? I remember when we spoke, you were telling me about your Boston Terrier. Is that right? That's right, Dexter. Tell us about Dexter. He's a very cheeky chap. You know, um, he's very uh, lovable, hyperactive. Uh, quite a crazy dog, um, but an amazing dog as they all are. But uh, I, I, while I don't have a child myself, you know, you, you pick up your your uh, your puppy, don't you? And and you just you just don't know what they're gonna be like. And if anything, Dex has turned out to be a bit like me, stubborn, loving, kind of one track minded, thinks about the ball all the time. There you go. I do love him. He's an amazing dog. Oh, well, they do say they take after their owners, don't they? <laughs> I don't know what that says about me and our dog, because our yeah. dog is a, a bit nuts as well. Um, so today we're going to talk about finding, hiring, and retaining great architectural staff. Yeah. So maybe you could start by just telling me the story of, of how you got into recruitment and, and what led to forming Architecture Social. Well, that's right. So I studied architecture. I did five years of it. And no one in their right mind who's in, who's any form has has any form of sanity thinks I'm going to go into a sales role, you know. 
no way. You don't do all that to do that. It's crazy. I just kind of fell into it. And anyone that says they plan to go on recruitment is absolutely full of it because you just fall into it. It's no one's first choice. I just, at the time, I didn't want to get fully qualified. I didn't may maybe have certain excitements that my other colleagues who were studying, studying to become architecture did. I loved the 3D modeling. I wasn't sure I was so interested in perhaps some of the technical detailing. And I just thought, you know what, I'm going to find out what else is there. And the first place I walked into, they were like, hey, you, you're good at chatting. Why don't you do this? And that's the kind of the quick version. So, yes, you're right. I did architecture. I worked in industry for three years. I worked alongside technologists, alongside architects, um, then went into recruitment. And I've helped architectural practices, small, medium, and large, probably for the last 10 years in recruitment. I then set up the Architecture Social, which is a bit of an online platform, does a few different things as well, and still does recruitment. But the important bit as well is I returned to the architecture practice where I left before and I fell into recruitment. I returned to help them on their hiring strategy. So all the secrets that I've learned are from being the hiring manager, being the recruitment consultant, and also being the candidate. So I've seen every step. And I'm more than happy to give any business owners here in the business club insights, save money, make recruitment less stressful. Because let's be honest, it's a pain in the ass for everyone. It's difficult. It's a people process. So I'm all, I'm all yours. But that's the content. Uh, that's the context of what I've done. Hopefully it's useful. That's brilliant. You summed it up perfectly. Um, okay, so what, what common problems do you see employers encounter when it comes specifically to finding staff oh it's just there's there is there is there isn't really a book on it right and if there was the book is usually rubbish in recruitment right and therefore again it goes back to where i said it's a very humanistic process things can go wrong for difficult reasons for many different reasons you know recruitment is expensive full stop okay it's a time sink you're going to be interviewing people. You can waste time. People can join. They can leave. Okay. And then if you, so that costs you money because it's basically time that you're not doing that stuff. And then when you use a recruitment consultant, which really is saving you time in theory, not always, then for that, a recruitment consultant will charge you money. So, you know, there's, there's, it's like, ah, you, you, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And then also there's certain hiring practices that you can do direct, such as job advertisements and all this stuff. And it's questionable how effective they are as well. And uh, job boards used to be such a huge, big thing, part of it, that the, the old architecture magazine used to come around, the Architects Journal, BD for jobs and all this stuff. And they would have all the classifieds at the back, not dodgy ones. You know what I'm on about, but like there would be one saying we're looking for a technologist, whatever, right? And that's all changed. The land, the, the the landscape's changed, and I think it's quite exciting at the moment. LinkedIn, social media, these platforms, these can all be utilized really well to save you a lot of money and time and stress by starting to have inbound people of interest, and and that basically is effectively like online marketing, you know. But it takes time. And it's, and if you want immediate results, investing in your marketing is not going to get stuff immediately. Maybe if you're lucky. However, we have to constantly think about what we're doing. So I'm more than happy to let you to answer any questions on recruitment strategies to save cash. Hopefully, 
I, I love that. Before we move on to that, you just reminded me that mm-hmm. that when the BD used to come through, that used to be the thing that everyone in the office oh, used yeah. to do when I worked in practice. The first page that they would go to would flick through to the jobs page and like, oh, have a look at uh, what salaries are on offer there. That used to be the first thing that most people used to do. But as you say, it's it's totally changed now, hasn't it? The way that people find staff and the options that are out there for us. What about mistakes, though? Do you are there any kind of typical mistakes that you see employers making as part of that recruitment process? There must be some common things that you've seen and thought, oh, not again. Yeah, the the the, big, the biggest one is that the one that comes to mind, anyways. There's quite a few, and uh, one that comes to mind is job advertisements are typically very bad if they're advertised at all. So, number one mistake is not advertising your vacancy, and seventy uh, percent of vacancies are not advertised. It's uh, quite quite big when you think about it. And so, the first thing you should you should actually get the vacancy on the website, right? It sounds so silly, but trust me, I've been there myself where I preach this to companies, and then I'm hiring, and I'm like, I need put my job ad. So we all do it, we all get busy, but I think it's really important to get that job vacancy on because people are not mind readers, and and maybe if you're uh, fosters and partners, right? You got you're famous, infamous, maybe. But you're definitely famous. And what that means is a lot of applications are going to be coming in for architects, architectural assistants. But if you're a small business owner at the start of your journey, no, not everyone's going to know who you are. It's a big, wide world. So you've got to think, like, how am I bleeding the noise? How am I going to get out there? Now, before we talk about ways to go about things, and I'm happy to go into that, and we'll go through that in a bit. The next biggest mistake is you've got to advertise your role, but usually the job descriptions are written quite badly. What do I mean by this? Well, you close your eyes and you imagine a job description. They usually start something like, we are looking for a senior architect, must have 10 years experience with Revit, must have eight years experience on, you know, I in residential projects, must have this, must have MBS chorus, must have this must do this, must have that, must, 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 must. And what that is actually is, is it's what I call a top-down approach. You must have this. I am looking for this. And when people read that, if they're desperate for a job, they're going to click and go through. Or Sometimes people don't even read it. They click. There might be an IT architect for all they think, or they think a technologist is something else, or as a receptionist might spam it, right? whatever. But you might have some person there that reads it and goes, oh, I only have four years Revit. I don't have five. And they move on. And therefore, you exclude people. But also, when you're trying to get people for a job, you got to think about when you were looking for a job. And in the past, even if you're the business owner now, try to think back in the past. And you've really got to tap into where people are in their lives and what and where your company can fit in with that. And, and don't use caveat words, which mean nothing. Like, always makes me laugh. An exciting opportunity. I mean, what the heck does that mean? A close-knit team? Oh, goodness me, gracious me. We were talking before, weren't we, about where you worked in Australia. It was a fun environment where people could come and go. They worked hard played hard and social you had barbecues on the Thursday and all that stuff you said on the first day you came down it was a whole big event you've got to paint this picture in the culture like EPR architects where I worked um they do yoga twice a week they're a great company they just moved into a new office an amazing practice where they converted an old school into a beautiful satin 
okay? They do social events, they do training, there's a mentoring scheme, there's Revit training, all this stuff, okay? Now, when I'm telling you about that, you're thinking about how that fits in for you. You're imagining your life as the candidate. You're starting to visualize yourself then, which is great because that means if you're a good architect, maybe you're more likely to apply. Whereas the other ads that I saw at the start, that I've talked about at the start, must have 10 years Revit, I'm not that interested. I can't imagine myself being there. So that's the number one mistake that I see, John. That's really interesting, actually, that the example that you gave of the kind of bad ads there, <laughs> that's so typical of so many job ads that you see generally, yeah. not just within architecture, that it's very much about the employer just listing out their dream list of, of what they want from the candidate and not mm -hmm. actually thinking, how can we position ourselves as amazing employers so that we attract the best candidates? Yeah, exactly. Or it's an advert or it's a, it's like getting your message out there. I mean, the other thing people don't think about, and I get it because you're stressed in an interview, you're doing all this stuff, but it's actually a chance for you to sell the company or, or paint a great picture of it and build up that public pres um, present, the public image, right? And what I mean by that is you may not even hire the person, but if you're nice to them, you show them around a bit and then you let them down late gently maybe they go away and go i didn't get it but it was a really nice place okay that's one version whereas if you tear someone uh, a new and a new i was going to swear them but it's not my podcast but if you tear into someone they're going to remember aren't they you go i went in that place and this guy just grilled me absolutely grilled me or i was there and we were in the evening quite late and the interview went on for two hours and there was just this lady who ripping into me and everyone was still working there. That's not a good presentation. So you need to really think about what, how people see it. And people talk online and Glassdoor's there. Although I've got mixed things at the moment, John, how I feel about Glassdoor because I've, I'm aware of some companies paying to remove reviews. So I'm not too worried about Glassdoor. But you think about your mates who you speak to. They all say who they've interviewed with, what it was like, what they've heard. And you need to be on top of that if you want the best people. So, okay. So let's assume then that there's a small practice out there that's... Yep. They're putting a job out because they need some support. They need some architectural, uh, an additional architectural staff member. Yeah. So they've taken your advice and they've done a red hot job ad that's Ooh. kind of really selling, selling them as an employer, how fantastic that they are and what the culture yep. would be like there. So maybe they get to the stage then of, of interviewing some people and, and have someone they want to hire. Is there a, what would be the kind of next common stumbling block is is there any other common mistakes you see when it comes to that part of the actual actually kind of offering somebody the job and and hiring them once you've actually attracted those candidates with that ad are there any other common issues that you've seen occur once it gets to the point of hiring the staff member yeah good question i think so a little bit of building on what i said before you have to remember that you need to potentially charm someone and if you're giving someone a hard time and then you make an offer to them and the other place up the road is on equal pairing and they've been quite charming, who do you think the person's more likely going to gravitate towards, right? So you need to think about this commercially and you need to think about optimizing your position as, soon, as, as best as possible. 
So I think the number one thing is just to treat people with respect. And also remember that it's a person that's looking for a job. They won't wait around for you forever. That's a big one that I see happening in recruitment. Yes, projects, and it's difficult when you first hire, especially timing, do I make the jump, all this stuff. However, you need to understand and have clear communication with that person. So there's an expression in sales called time kills deals. And I think that applies to recruitment. Okay, maybe it's not a deal per se. However, it's like anything. The longer it goes, the more variables that happen. And you need to be on top of that as soon as possible. And so I think uh, one of the companies that I used to work with was very good at meeting people as quick as possible. That's number one, because there's a chance that they're the first person you see. They, they, you're, the first, you're the first person they see, and um, you can snap them off the market. So meeting people, I think, as soon as possible is great. With the caveat, though, that you've got to be prepared to make the decision. There's absolutely no point interviewing people unless you, you don't want to hire someone, unless you're middle management that wants to look busy. But this isn't what the business club is about. We're all busy people. I'm the same. I've got a business. I've got five staff. If I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing. And I'm ready to make an offer. And you've got to be ready. And you've got to be reactive. And you can't faff around. You've got to just be to the point, clear, concise, and stick with your word. And if you say you're going to offer a salary, offer the salary. Be honest about where you are as well. Um, the other thing is, you mentioned maybe some people get things get competitive and stuff. Let's pretend you're a small business. You can't compete so much on the salary. Think about flexibility. People are always looking for more flexibility and you need to keep that in mind. And that could be a quite nice caveat where, you know, you say, listen, okay, we're a smaller practice. So the salary is this. However, I'm prepared. For, I'm very happy for you to do the school run. I'm very happy for you to work two days at home. And there's ways that you can shimmy it around, but you remember it's a conversation, remember it's moving parts and you need to be fluid. And I think that the companies, and this usually happens when they get bigger. So for any small to medium companies right now, it's not something you don't need to worry about. But when you get bigger, you can sometimes get structure. You know, oh, we can't do this. Or, oh, we've got to kick it up to, to HR who's going to review that change in the contract. We've got to get improved by six people. And that's where you can lose the opportunity. You can lose the deal, whatever you want to express. So, that's what I would say. When you're small, be agile. Remember, it's a conversation. Put your money where the, put your money where the mouth is. I think that's what the saying is. But be clear, concise, and don't f around. Sorry, I wasn't sure if I can swear or not. <laughs> it's okay. Um, that, that's that's brilliant advice, though. And there was one thing I just wanted to pick up on there, just regarding salary, really, and yeah. how. You often see job ads out there that are very vague on the matter of salary. Mm. What's your thoughts on that, about how upfront people, employers should be when they're advertising architectural posts um. about salary? Remember, don't forget to subscribe to my free weekly email newsletter. You can do that at mrjohnclayton.co.uk forward slash ABC. And if you enjoy this episode, then please visit podchaser.com, search for Architecture Business Club, and leave a five-star review. Now, back to the show. Tricky question, because very spicy territory right now. And 
I, I do not think that the ROBA salary guide is good for public. Um, that's the first time I've probably said that publicly. And it's not good. And I tell you why I don't think it's good. The architecture socialized a salary guide, but other people have a salary guide as well. You need to weigh them all up. The reason why I don't think that the ROBA salary guide is a good salary guide for businesses is that they do get the information, but by the time the report comes out, it's nine months old. That's an eternity in this world. It's it's a crazy time period. It's like, oh, let's let's make a business decision about 2022's information. You just don't do that. And so you need up-to-date information. However, I'm going to let you into a secret, okay? I have got the Architecture Social Salary Guide and there's interactive results so people can put information and that skews it a little bit. But all these recruitment consultants out there, including mine, and I've worked in like three or four of them and stuff, all these salary guys are finger in the air, does this seem right, okay? And the small, the low, medium, the high brackets are there for a reason because there isn't a magic number. And I saw a report come out by a, an article lately of a part one in London that fosters and partners on 31K. I'm not sure that's still right. Okay. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. I'm just not convinced. So different companies have different salaries and you will tie yourself up in knots if you look at all the stuff out there and think that it is accurate. At the same time, though, don't be naive. So there's a company in Manchester, quite a famous architecture practice, which always used to make me laugh because they used to try and put the London salaries the same as the Manchester salaries and the living costs were different. Um, so where I'm going with this is you have to be receptive to the environment you are. And the quickest way to find out salaries is to compete in a marketplace. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is if you see an awesome guy or old gal who is an architect looking for 36 and you want to go 35, you could be prepared to lose them. You might win them over, but you might lose them to someone else. And that is the harsh way you learn about moving salaries. So you'd be a bit agile and, uh, you know, challenge it as well. It can go the other way, though. Of course, you shouldn't just hire someone on their expectations if they can't deliver because chances are you're going to have to sack them or it's not going to work or whatever. So it's a balance. You've got a, a bit of common sense, but also listen. And last thing I'd say on that point is you've got to think about what's valuable for the business. And maybe a young architect has got all the Revit skills and that could plug in. And then you've got a senior architect with lots of experience as well. And you have to factor in everything to the business. And architecture gets a bit strange, doesn't it? When you get like senior professionals, um, kind of the salary dips off to one point. But where am I going with this is that there's no one rule. There's no one rule. It's like people say to me about CVs, how many pages are in a CV? Could be one, could be two, could be three. And how much should I pay an architect? Could be 34, could be 36, could be 38. How good are they? What value have they got? How rare are they in your area? And then on it goes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a very divisive topic. Um, okay, so if we talked about finding and hiring staff. Um, yeah. I mean, the other thing is retaining staff. I mean, retaining oh, yes. good staff can be an issue for some practices. So... Why do you think this is the case? Well, what do you think that small practice owners and employers can can do about it to, to retain their good people? 
Yeah, really good question. I mean, the quickest way to save money on recruitment is keep your staff. There's a caveat with that, though, because, of course, you have to be, it's cruel to be kind of business. And if they're not the right fit, then you have to have a really difficult conversation with yourself in the ugly mirror about letting them go. However, you have to, I think, generally, if you identify a member of staff as being extremely valuable, then having constant conversations with them about salaries, about where where things are good, it can go the other way as well. Where you go, listen, you had so much value here, which is I just, I just have to be really honest about where the business is and how much money it's been making. I have that conversation all the time in my business, and it's quite hilarious how, if you think about it, how many places have you worked before where they taught they don't talk about money, and and I find that dangerous because then basically people work naively up until the point they get made redundant. Whereas I think if you're a small business owner, it's very good to be competitive and be open about the challenges that you've got. Because of course you'd like to hand out huge salaries, but you have very realistic limitations in the business. So I think that's the first thing because most people leave businesses where they feel like, I, there's two reasons. Either they feel like they can't progress or they, well, that's the main reason that they can't progress. So there's one reason people usually leave. That's the main reason they, well, can't, yeah, they can't. Progressing could be, the progression could be, um, professionally in terms of um, expanding their knowledge and getting those new opportunities to kind of progress in that way or it could be a progression in authority and and salary ultimately yeah exactly I guess where I was going around it and I'll just flesh out this concept in my head usually people will do two things when they want to leave they'll just leave or they'll bring it up to you or and, and then you can talk about it now employ i find it hard even myself as a business owner you have to constantly engage with people people need constant reassurance because lots of things are going on however us as business owners we're busy right but we do need to make a bit of time to catch up with people and you do need to make it honest uh set goals is the first one so what do i mean by this i mean that people want to progress and don't just give people a pay rise for the sake of it. Set obstacles there or challenges. Obstacles is the wrong word. Set hurdles they have to get over. And then in return, you'll pay them more. If you have that conversation, I guarantee you people are more likely to stay, more likely to engage. If you say you need to do all this and for that, yet yeah, we can look at a salary increase or yet yeah, you now become a project architect because you're managing a project. Whereas before I was helping you along with it, congratulations. Doing stuff like that is going to retain people. Some people are just going to go. Some people are going to hand in their notice and then you've got two choices. And one of those is that you let them go. Or the other is you, you, you try to keep them, which can be quite eventful and hard work, stressful. But that's what's called a counter offer. Now, there's some bullshit stats going around like on how many people stay after a counter offer generally i've even done a counter offer before where i've stayed i've got a nice pay rise but counter offers people only stay things fundamentally change and businesses tend to whether you like it or not and we all need to reflect on this but we stick with what we're comfortable with oh yeah we will move heaven and high water if you stay oh, okay i stay two grand extra 
these things don't change, the person leaves again. So I think you have to be realistic with that person and what you can do. But if you have a frank conversation and go, why do you want to go there? And they go, oh, you know, I want to go because I'm getting an opportunity or there's a bit more flexible. You go, well, why don't you just do that? Yeah, you know what I'm like. They're the devil, you know. If we can make you more flexible, we can get you the two grand, which you were coming to anyways. But we can get you the two grand if you now do these new responsibilities. So I can put you up to a project architect, but you got to do it. And I'll give you the two grand, and we can also say you'll be flexible. Do you think that's fair? And the person might say yes. So that sounds like a really great thing that uh, employers could do. You mentioned that setting goals for them to work towards to be able to progress and to feel valued and to, to progress the career and ultimately stay within that practice without changing jobs and leaving for somewhere else. Yeah. Are there any other simple things that small practice owners can do to just better look after their staff to, you know, make it a better place to work? Mm, good question. I think small practices by nature are more agile, aren't, 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 aren't they? Well, we, I have four members of staff, I reckon that's small. We can be more agile. Okay, we don't have the big, some of the big perks that other places have, um, uh, but we, we, can, we, we have pretty good perks. Okay, so where I'm going with this, okay, we might not have private medical care, However, you might be very flexible. And don't underestimate flexibility after the pandemic. It really shot, um, uh, it really tore up the rule book in architecture. And most companies now are trying to go back to a five day week. They say not, but they are. And I'm already seeing that in London where some people are working five day a week, some are working four day a week. If you're a small business owner, why don't you do flexibility? I do that with my staff. I say you can work remote whenever you want. Of course, there's challenges with that. Do not underestimate how popular that is, though. When people are looking for jobs, the questions they now ask are, how much money? What is the job? Like, what, what projects will I be working on? Um, then what is the flexibility? And followed by the benefits. So flexibility is a massive chunk of it which I think is the easiest one for small business owners to do. The other thing is that they get so much experience that they wouldn't get in an architecture practice, um, which is larger, or an architectural whatever. Um, That's so true. Yeah, so you've got to really lean into that and just be honest and just say, listen, the stuff you're going to be learning here, you can actually apply to your own future business I, I, for all I care, and I'm happy to mentor you, happy to do all this stuff. I'm very happy to be flexible. Yes, the salary's not going to be as high as KPF or Foster's, but whatever, we're, this is where we are, and I can offer you this this lifestyle, and you can work down the road in Huddlesfield or wherever the heck you are, Cardiff for me, and have a great life and not commute to London. So tell you what, that's really expensive. Try living in London. Try commuting to London. It's, it's So you've got to really identify your strengths and embrace the things that maybe your competitors aren't doing and and, and make that your own. And, and, and also embrace... The shortcomings of it, I like hit your head on. You go, yes, I can't offer you the salary and our architecture practice done. So you're already taking out the thing. Going, yes, however, flexibility, however, right. project running. As you say, though, that those that there's a couple of other things there. It's not all about the money. It's not all about that because there's going to be people that are working in a firm where they're not getting the opportunities to run projects or they don't have any of that flexibility. So if you're a small firm, 
architecture practice looking to hire staff that there's a couple of extra things there you could yeah. really push with your advertising for yeah. that job to really be able to attract better candidates i just wanted to ask actually about well for sole practitioners if there's any sole practitioners out there that are listening and they're maybe thinking about hiring their first team member mm. um have you got any specific recommendations for them for their first hire only based upon what I did because, first of all, slight tangent, quick one, you don't really want to involve recruitment com- consultancies until you're much bigger because there's a, there's a charge. There's an introduction charge. It's a few thousand pounds. You don't need that as a small business. It's just going to bleed you dry. But recruitment, recruitment consultants business is really designed for large companies where basically they've got a project worth 400 grand, 500 grand, of fees they haven't got time to find the six architects they need and then they give me a chunk of it a small chunk of it and that's what they go on for so first of all avoid recruitment consultants um <laughs> it's quite funny when that's one of my core services but avoid us as long as possible and um, you know apply what i would do is i advertised on linkedin i think it's a great platform to do it right now but also be smart about it you, you know if you're in for example a particular area and you want to hire a student maybe build that bridge with the university there it's basically gonna they get they can't they love to to bring you good students because it's good for their employment ratings and uh universities are not an endangered species but what i mean is they're getting more expensive right it's, it's so they need to justify their value of employment so you need to tap into universities. You need to be really smart. Um, and I would, I would also. There is stuff like we were at the CIAT event. You can bump into people there. Generally, we will get around that stuff in like the RABA. Also, for architects, have these little hubs. Uh, so I think that's really good way to do it. I found my first hire accidentally here by bumping in, having a conversation down the line, and then. Um, they, for whatever reason, their employment paused to the place. And I said, why don't you work for me? No way would I have paid a recruiter. Absolutely madness. And then, you know, also then it was the next step from that one staff. We now got free staff because it was through internal referrals. So I said, listen, if you find someone, I'll pay you a grand and a half. Just did that. And so, okay, it cost me a grand and a half, but that's an employee perk for them. But also... I don't have to pay recruit a six grand or seven grand or whatever it is, you know? Wow, that's good advice. We have we've covered a lot of ground there. Do you want to do you want to try and try and sum up the main points that we've run through there? So we we started off, we talked about finding staff. Yeah. Then we talked about hiring staff. We've talked yeah. about retaining staff. And we've talked about some of the most common mistakes. And we talked there and just about sole practitioners hiring their the first team member. My do you brain, want to, my do you brain want to try and do you want to try and sum up the conversation? <laughs> do you want brain, to add anything? My brain struggles to summarize it. <laughs> I think I think that recruitment is messy. Okay. And it's it's very bespoke in the business. It, there's lots of facets like are people available? Where are they? How competitive are you? How do you stick out? Do you have um, an essay in the market? Do you have nothing? You have no footprint and and like everything else it's a challenge but you have to remember 
it's all about the company's brand. And the, and the, the, the final note I would say on that is that when you look at your website, when you think about your work as business owners, you're always thinking, and I do it too, you're always thinking about chasing the fees, you're chasing that stuff. Yes, you want your website to look good. You want to attract business. You also just need to keep in the back of your mind, if you do have a careers page or an about us page or all that stuff, you're going to make your life easier as you expand in terms of recruitment. So I would just keep in the mind what I've said and think about it always from the other person's position. That's probably the biggest key. And try to really work out what they're looking for. Try to work out if, it's it, if it fits you. And, you know, just don't jump into it. I mean, the one thing we haven't touched upon is you know, hiring the wrong person can be catastrophic for many different reasons. And therefore, it's good to interview people and don't rush the interview process. However, again, I think it's like interviewing. The last, last thing I'd say on that point, I think it's good to start practicing interviews. Most people are not very good at doing interviews, myself included. I have different styles, you have different things. You've got to practice this stuff. So I think as soon as you have a legitimate role, no point looking if you're not you're going to hire someone, but as soon as you have a legitimate role, start meeting people. Don't just hire the first person you see. It's like a house, isn't it? You're going to buy the first one. You're crazy. You need to have some comparison. So book people in in the same day. Stay. Put the process out and just see what happens. And I don't know. Anything else I've forgotten? Just rewind the podcast. It's a modern world. Go backwards and listen to it. <laughs> That's fine. Um, we, we covered a heck of a lot there. I have one other question, and it's yeah. nothing to do with finding or hiring staff. It's just sure. a question that I like to ask. I I love travel and discovering new places. Uh, yes. So um, do you want to tell me, well, can you tell me one of your favorite places and what you love about it? This can be near or far, anywhere in the world, the end of your street, wherever you like. Is there anywhere that springs to mind as one of your favorite places in the world? Yeah, good question. One of the, the recent places which i was surprised myself enjoying so much was berlin such a cool city with people and it's totally different than i would have thought i was very used to going to like i don't know um holiday kind of uh, beach, beach holiday. holiday yeah beachy holidays with my parents and stuff and actually as much as i love my parents they're incredibly stressful to travel with you know just that tad like, it's just there and then what i discovered was actually going on holiday on by yourself is just totally different than that yes we like a family holiday but there's different versions and i definitely am probably a workaholic still but i'm a recovering workaholic and i would always make excuses john not to go on a holiday and uh and i did a i had two or three day stopover in berlin and why it's important to me is because i realized that i actually need to stop have a break and enjoy and and in the end, I stayed for something like an extra week. So I stayed for an extra week. I got to know all the locals, got to meet a few people. I did it on my own. Well, half of it on my own. And uh, it was great. So that's why it's a special place for me. It's Berlin, of all places in the world. My goodness. Berlin. Berlin is, uh, that is an amazing city. I've, I've been fortunate enough to visit a couple of times. And yeah, absolutely so cool. worth a visit. Yeah, if you've never been before. Um, that's been absolutely awesome. 
Thanks so much, Stephen. I really, really appreciate it. Where is the best place online for people to connect with you? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm probably that screaming Welshman on LinkedIn. However, you can also find me on thearchitectsocial.com or, or drop me a message on LinkedIn. If I don't reply, drop me another one. Don't be shy. And yeah, if you want to pick up the phone and be old school, that's probably the best way to get me. If you really want to get me, you ring me up, you know, and I'm all yours. All for an old school phone call. Just can't beat it sometimes, can you? You know? Yeah. Right. Cheers, buddy. Take care. Thank you so much. Next time, I'll be taking a trip down memory lane and sharing a lighthearted look at my Christmas past, present and future working in architecture. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Architecture Business Club. If you liked this episode, think other people might enjoy it, or just want to show your support, then please visit podchaser.com, search for Architecture Business Club, and leave a glowing five-star review. It would mean so much to me and makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show. If you just want to connect with me, you can do that on most social media platforms. Just search for at Mr. John Clayton. The best place to connect with me online, though, is on LinkedIn. You can find a link to my profile in the show notes. Remember, running your architecture business doesn't have to be hard, and you don't need to do it alone. This is Architecture Business Club.